is episode one of a new chapter, the fifth chapter of the Buddhist Books podcast and episode 50-something, I'm not sure, uh, overall. Um, if you've seen on the website, I, uh, the edwardreeve.com forward slash Buddhist Books, I've created chapter sections now so that we can have you know, the recent stuff on the main page. And then if you're interested in looking back at some of the earlier stuff, Lotus Sutra, Dhammapada, the Pali scriptures, so-called, and uh, uh, Jain Sutras, then those chapters are available. Um, I'll try to keep this introduction brief. So if this is your first time seeing me, go ahead and keep watching because this is a good place to start, probably even better than Dhammapada. Um, now, there's going to be people watching who have a pretty good idea of the different kinds of Buddhism, um, basically. Uh, and then there may be people who don't. So I'm going to do a quick uh, rundown that may be review for some people. So uh, here it goes. And special thanks to the neighborhood for the ambient uh, urban sounds of New Delhi, which is where I am. Hi, I'm Edward. Anyway, for the people who were just tuning in. Um, and hello to the people on the podcast who aren't seeing me. Uh, I hope you're doing well. So basically, um, we can break it down to the, a, a few different types, perhaps four or five. Uh, it, basically, four. Of, I'm going to go into five types right now of Buddhism. There's what we're going to call early Buddhism. I think everybody can agree that, that we can call the uh, pre-sectarian Theravada early Buddhism. You could also call that early Theravada. Um, and that is what we're going to be starting to read today, which is very exciting for me and hopefully for you as well. Um, now, you may have noticed that the title of this episode is Sutta Vibhanga Parajika, right? Sutta Vibhanga Parajika, yes. So, um, Tripitaka means three baskets. The original teachings of... Now, okay, okay. So, if you were listening to Jain Sutras before, that was basically the prequel um, based on the hypothesis that Buddha, our, our special guest today, welcome, uh, was a practicing Jainist who then left the path and uh, went his own way and then attained enlightenment, as they say, and then he um, had his ministry. He, he went around teaching for a very long time. And he had disciples, and there were many monks, uh, and then eventually he passed away. Now, after he passed away, the uh, disciples, you know, the foremost disciples took a leadership role uh, over the Sangha, which means assemblage or, or group community, basically like church or ecclesia or order, if you will. Um, and uh, so the first things that they wrote down were the rules. Um, basically, one can imagine that uh, some of the monks, among the several hundred, I think, uh, monks at that time, started doing shady things. And so they started saying, okay, 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 rule number one, don't claim that you have supernatural powers. Rule number two, no sexy business, you know, this kind of thing. So it might, uh, you know, be, seem a little boring. And by our standards today, everybody knows Robert McKee, right? You know Robert McKee, right? Personally? So do I, unfortunately. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so everybody knows you start with a hook, and then you tease them with this, 
and then you bring in the first act and then you have a conflict and then the resolution. This is not how the Tripitaka is written. Um, perhaps because they did not have such advanced uh, storytelling capabilities and it wasn't a story. It wasn't ever meant to be a story or, or, or that kind of thing. But there are stories, but they come up later in basket number two. Um, okay, so just back to the quick rundown. So there was the, the Tipitaka, also known as the Tripitaka, or the three baskets. Um, Tripitaka is Sanskrit, Tipitaka is Pali. I said I was going to make this brief. I will do my best from here on out. Then, so they had the first council, the second council, and then there was uh, King Ashok, uh, and he converted to Buddhism, just to cut short, and then they had the third council under King Ashok, and then, you know, Buddhism became a very prestigious and, you know, state-sponsored, uh, country-sponsored, if you will, although, you know, the, the things were divided a little differently back then, but he had conquered a, a lot of what we now consider India, and and then some. Um, and uh, so it was all meant to be Buddhist. He was preaching Buddhism. So during his lifetime, it was all about Buddhism, and that was the state-sponsored thing. So you can imagine that there were people who wanted to get into positions of power and authority within that Buddhist order that were doing it for reasons other than pure-heartedness. Because that's how it goes when things, you know, get Constantine, right? Um, and so, yeah, then there started to be splits. Uh, so then, then you have what people can generally call Theravada, which is like the older of the Buddhist schools, but there were more than one. So there was early Buddhism, which there was just one school, then there was Theravada, right? And then right around the time those splits started happening, there was Mahayana that came to being kind of mysteriously, you know, the things like the Lotus Sutra, no one really knows where it came from or who wrote it, but they can kind of guess that it came around the first century common era, um, or maybe a little bit before, some people say. Um, and there's a few other older Mahayana Sutras, and we'll get to that much later. So, basically, if you went to school, you and, you know, they mentioned Buddhism, right? They, they would have talked about Hinayana and Mahayana, and then maybe Vajrayana if they got around to it. Um, so, I on this uh, program before, I had likened Hinayana to a slur. I think that might be a bit much. I think it's more like saying the Old Testament when referring to the Tanakh or the Jewish scriptures, um, the Torah, if you will. Uh, so, basically, from a Christian perspective, because Christianity became so popular, well, well-known, you know, everybody's heard about Christianity. So there's the Christian Bible, and it has an Old Testament and a New Testament. And so, oh, you're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament? So similarly, Mahayana <clears throat> became immensely popular outside of India, China, Thailand, you name it. Um, and they call Theravada Hinayana, which, you know, is in reference to themselves because Mahayana is the big vehicle, Hinayana is the, the little vehicle. So I don't like the term. I, I avoid using it, and I kind of I kind of go you know you might hear me grumble and growl a little bit when people use the term, um, yeah because it's it's similar to referring to like I said the Tanakh as the Old Testament it's it's only looking through the view of Mahayana, um, so yeah I won't be using that term, um, so yeah so there was uh, original old school Buddhism Theravada or also known as Hinayana, then Mahayana, and then later on Mahayana kind of developed, you know, over time in the early, you know, from the, maybe the 4th to the 6th centuries uh, common era in, <clears throat> and developed Vajrayana. 
We'll get all into all that much later. And then kind of around in, in around the same time, Chan was developing, and then that got kind of exported from China to Japan in the 1200s common era and became known as Zen. So Vajrayana left India in the 700s and went to Tibet, and it also went to China, and it went to Japan. And then there were emperors, and then eventually Mao in China, who's like, we don't like this stuff. And so you don't find Vajrayana as much. You'll find Vajrayana gods and deities here and there, uh, but not a whole lot of like practicing Vajrayana Buddhists in in China proper. Only in that part of you know China occupied territory that is called Tibet, right, and uh, and Bhutan as well as Nepal, and then. You know, all over the world, of course, because the uh, the Tibetan refugees spread around the world, and the Dalai Lama became very famous after the Chinese occupation. So, th does that make sense? So, there's uh, old school, that which is what we're going to be jump diving into. Then there's Theravada, Mahayana, Vajrayana, and Zen. Those are the five categories that, yeah, generally, generally speaking, of course, there's hundreds of subdivisions and different. There's like a different cross-blendings of, of, of each of them. Um, so, without further ado, let's get... Oh, uh, so yeah, okay, in the, in the Tipitaka, here you can see my book, my bookshelf, uh, we have the three baskets. There is, of course, basket number one, known as the Vinaya Pitaka, which means basically rules basket. Then there is the Sutta Pitaka, which means doctrine basket. Um, or discourses basket, I believe. And then there's uh, the Abhidhamma Pitaka, which uh, literally means uh, higher doctrine uh, basket. And that's where you'll find some you know, uh, discrepancies between what became the different schools of Theravada as to what, you know, some of it is like, well, according to these people, this book was there, but according to those people, it wasn't there. But as far as what we're getting into today and what we're going to be reading for the next several months, and if not years, it's, uh, it could be, it, I think, would universally be considered as uh, early Buddhism, early Theravada, pre-sectarian, when there was only one Buddhist order, which is nice, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think that's enough of an introduction. I hope you all are doing well. And uh, so, without further ado... Oh, and uh, by the way, special thanks to the Polytext Society. That was fun. Um, for, for these books. I mean, they didn't give them to me or anything. I bought them. But uh, they, you know, the various translators over there have been working diligently for like a couple hundred years translating all these documents from Pali into English and then, you know, doing revised translations and better translations and all this. So what we have here is the best translation available a month ago. Um, you know, next year they might come out with a version of this or that that's a bit better. We'll see. If they do, I'll keep an eye on that and uh, make sure that everything's up to date. So, should we spend the next, like, three weeks reading the hundred-some-odd pages of the author's introduction to this before we actually read it? No, no, let's not do that. Um, you know, I'm sure it's very interesting, and special thanks to H.B. Horner uh, for all the good work. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> Vinaya Pitaka Sutta Vibhanga Parajika 
right? Okay. Uh, praise to the Lord, the perfected one. We're talking about this Lord, of course. The fully enlightened. Okay, defeat. That's the meaning, the literal meaning of parajika. I believe sudavibhanga means analysis of rules or, or something close to that. Um, so, okay. At one time, the enlightened one, the Lord, was staying at Veranga near Ta-Eru's Nimba tree. What do we have? Yeah, okay, they're around. With a great company of 500 monks, a Brahmin of Veranya heard, Verily, good sir, the recluse Gotama, son of Sakyan, Sakyans, having gone forth from the Sakyan clan, is staying at Veranya near Taeru, near Taeru's Nim tree, with a great company of 500 monks. The highest praise has gone forth concerning the Lord Gautama. He is indeed Lord, the perfected one, fully enlightened, endowed with knowledge and conduct, welfarer, knower of the worlds, unrivaled trainer of men to be tamed, teacher of devas and mankind, the enlightened one, the Lord. Having brought to fulfillment his own powers of realization, he makes known this world together with devas, including the maras and the brahmas, creatures together with recluses and brahmins, together with devas and men. Devas? He teaches dhamma, that, uh, dharma basically, but in Pali. Uh, lovely at the beginning, lovely at the middle, and lovely at the ending. He explains with the spirit and the letter the Brahma life, completely fulfilled and wholly pure. Good indeed it were to see perfected men like that. Then the Brahmin of Varanya came up to the Lord, and having come up, he exchanged friendly greetings with the Lord. And having exchanged friendly greetings, he sat down to one side. As he was sitting to one side, the Brahmin of Viranya spoke thus to the Lord, quote, I have heard, good Gotama, that the recluse Gotama does not greet Brahmins who are worn, old, stricken in years, who have lived their span and are at the close of their life. Nor does he stand up or ask them to sit down. Likewise, good Gautama, that the reverend Gautama does not greet Brahmins who are worn old, stricken in years, who have lived their spans and are at the close of their life. Nor does he greet them or stand up or ask them to sit down. Now this, good Gautama, this is not respectful, end quote. I take back what I said. This is good storytelling. It has a hook, and I'm interested in where this is going. Wow. Okay. All right. This is a good place to start. And it's, like, nice to think that this is, like, the beginning of the beginning. This is the oldest words written down as far as we know. 
of uh, in, in English, but it's very close. This is like the closest thing I've read to truth about the Buddha. So it's kind of warms my heart. Okay. Like this conversation or something very close to it probably really happened. Not, you know, I won't talk about other things written a thousand years later that definitely didn't happen. Anyway, <clears throat> quote, Brahman, I do not see him in the world of devas, including the maras, including the brahmas, including recluses and brahmins, of creatures including devas and mankind, whom I should greet or rise up, for or to whom I should offer a seat. For, Brahman, when a tatagata should greet or rise up for or offer a seat, his head would split asunder. End quote. Quote, the Reverend Gotama is without the quality of taste. End quote, he said. Anyway, okay. Quote, now we're back to the Buddha speaking. There is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gotama is without the quality of taste. For Brahman, tastes for forms. Taste tastes for sounds. Tastes for scents. Tastes for savors. Tastes for tangible objects. These have been destroyed by the Tathagata, cut off at the root like a palm tree. They are so utterly done away with that they are not able to come into future existence. This, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is without the quality of taste, but surely you did not mean that. End quote. He said. Okay, let's keep going. Quote, the Brahman says, the revered Gautama is without enjoyment. End quote, he said. Quote, there is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is without enjoyment. For, Brahman, enjoyments of forms, enjoyments of sounds, enjoyments of scents, enjoyments of savors, enjoyments of tangible objects, these have been destroyed by the Tathagata, cut off at the root like a palm tree. They are so utterly done away with that they are not able to come into future existence. This, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gotama is without enjoyment, but surely you did not mean that, end quote. The Brahman replies, quote, the revered Gotama professes the doctrine of non-action, end quote. He said, the Buddha replies, quote, There is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, The recluse Gautama professes the doctrine of non-action, 
For I, Brahman, teach the non-doing of offenses of body, speech, and thought. I teach the non-doing of manifold evil and wrong states. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama preaches the doctrine of non-action. But surely you did not mean that. End quote. The Brahman replies, quote, The revered Gautama professes the doctrine of annihilation. End quote, he said. The Buddha replies, There is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, The recluse Gautama preaches the doctrine of annihilation. For I, Brahman, speak of the annihilation of passion, of hatred, and of confusion. I speak of the annihilation of manifold evil and wrong states. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama professes the doctrine of annihilation. But surely you did not mean that. End quote. The Brahman replies, the Reverend Gautama is one who detests, end quote, he said. Quote, Buddha replies, There is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, The recluse Gautama is one who detests. For I, Brahman, detest offense of body, speech, and thought, and coming into manifold evil, and wrong states. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is one who detests. But surely you did not mean that, end quote. Brahman replies, the revered Gautama is restrained, end quote, he said. Quote, there is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, The recluse Gautama is restrained. For I, Brahman, teach Dhamma for the restraint of passion, of hatred, and of confusion. I teach Dhamma for the restraint of manifold evil and wrong states. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gotama is restrained. But surely you did not mean that. End quote. The revered Gotama is one who practices austerities, he said. End quote. quote there is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is one who practices austerities. For I, Brahman, speak of evil, wrong states, which are scarring, searing, excuse me, of offenses of body, speech, and thought. He who, Brahman, has destroyed the searing, 
evil, wrong states, having cut them off at the root like a palm tree, who has done away with them so utterly that they can come to no future existence. Him I call one who practices austerities. The Tathagata Brahman has destroyed the searing, evil, wrong states, has cut them off at the root like a palm tree, has done away with them so utterly that they can come to no future existence. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is one who practices austerities. But surely you did not mean that. End quote. Quote, the revered Gautama is not destined to another kind of becoming. Kind of was in parentheses. So without the parentheses, the revered Gautama is not destined to another becoming. End quote. He said, Buddha replies, quote, there is indeed, Brahman, a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gotama is one who is not destined to another kind of becoming. Indeed, Brahman, he whose future conception in a womb, whose rebirth in a future becoming are destroyed and cut off like a palm tree at the root, are so utterly done away with, that they can come to no future existence. Him I call one not destined to another becoming. The Tathagata's future conception in a womb, his rebirth in a new becoming, are destroyed and cut off at the root like a palm tree, are so utterly done away with that he can come to no future existence. This indeed, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is one not destined to another becoming. But surely you did not mean that. End quote. Quote, Brahman, it is like a hen with eight or ten or twelve eggs. I think this is the Buddha talking, but we'll find out on which she has sat properly, properly warmed and properly hatched, is that chick which should win forth safety, safely, having first of all pierced through the eggshell with the point of the claw on its foot or with its beak, to be called the eldest or the youngest, he said. He is to be called the eldest, good Gutama, for he is the eldest of these, he said. Okay, so it is the Buddha giving an allegory of some kind. Even so, I, Brahman, having pierced through the shell of ignorance for the sake of creatures going in ignorance, born of eggs, covered over, am unique in this world, in the world, utterly enlightened with unsurpassed enlightenment. I myself, Brahman, am the world's eldest and highest. Oh, well, he continues. Brahman, I had steadily put forth energy. Clear mindfulness had arisen. My body was quieted and calm. My mind was composed and one-pointed. I, Brahman, 
aloof from pleasures of the senses, aloof from wrong states of mind, having attained the first musing with its reflection and investigation that is born of solitude, zestful and caseful, easeful, excuse me, abided therein, by the mastery of reflection and investigation, having inner faith, the mind become concentrated without reflection, without investigation, having attained the second musing that is born of contemplation, zestful and easeful, I abided therein. By the fading out of zest, I dwelt poised, mindful and attentive. I experienced welfare as to the body, attaining the third musing, which the noble, one, the noble ones describe in these terms. So this is the Buddha talking, quoting the noble ones. He who is poised and mindful dwells happily, end quote. I abided therein. By the rejection of ease and by the rejection of discomfort, by the annihilation of the rejoicing and the sorrowing I had before, having attained to that state which is neither pleasant nor painful, that utter purity of mindfulness, which is poised, which is the fourth musing, I abided therein. Then, with the mind collected, clarified, purified, flawless, void of taints, grown soft and pliable, fixed and come to utter peace, I directed the mind towards the knowledge of the memory of former becomings. Thus I remember diverse former becomings. That is to say, one birth, two births, three births, four births, five births, ten births, twenty births, thirty births, forty births, fifty births, a hundred births, a thousand births, a hundred thousand births, and many an aeon of disintegration of the world, and many an aeon of re reintegration of the world. It says red integration. Maybe that's a British thing. I don't know. And many aeons of both its disintegration and redintegration. Such a one was I by name having such and such a clan, having such and such a clan, having such and such a color. So was I nourished. Such and such easeful and painful experiences were mine. So did the span of life end. Passing from this, I came to be in another state where such a one was I by name, having such and such a clan, having such and such a color, so was I nourished. Such easeful and painful experiences were mine. So did the span of life end. Passing from this, I came to be here. Thus, I remember diverse former becomings in all their modes and in detail. This Brahman was the first knowledge attained by me in the first watch of that night. Ignorance was dispelled. 
knowledge arose. Darkness was dispelled. Light arose. Even as I abided, zealous, ardent, with a self that has striven, this was, Brahman, my first successful breaking forth, like a chick from the eggshell. Nice. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing that. I don't have any uh, thing, you know, that needs to burst out of my head in through my mouth at the moment. I, like you, will uh, just let that sink in. Okay, thank you all for going on this ride with me. Thank you, Lord Buddha, for all the good work. And uh, we'll pick up right where we left off next time. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.